The Competitive Contractor Podcast is brought to you by Shivendra & Co. Visit www.shivendra.com to find out how you can work with us to grow your business, be more profitable, and become a competitive contractor. To embrace that conversation and question culture, one needs to firstly understand the basics of how humans communicate. Ludwig Wittgenstein, an English-Austrian philosopher, theorized that language works by triggering within us pictures of how we see the world. With that, then patterns are then analyzed and based on the game or context. We're constantly swapping these pictures between us, and communication normally goes wrong when we have this wrong picture. In this example, the simple phrase of just get it done, we'll look after you, has been misconstrued to mean, on one hand, a fair deal by the speaker, but the receiver is thinking it's urgent work and I'll get well and duly compensated for it. Life's many conversations often end with a belief that there's a common understanding, but in fact there isn't, then leading to conflict. This wrong picture often occurs in the following circumstances. When we or the other person are not listening, or when we are not clear or articulate enough in our words, where our message is muddled or incoherent. And both of these, incidentally, is where the power of storytelling help in communicating. And then finally, when we're faced with the limited information, our brains like to fill in the blanks. However, this is where the real problems exist because each of us are biased by our own bounded rationality. Herbert Simon was an economist who first coined the phrase bounded rationality which describes how people do not act rationally the same. In reality, our decision-making and our worldview are made up of many different factors, such as knowledge and experience. So a good example here is how an apprentice sees the project lifecycle, which is completely different to a seasoned PM. Situational context. So a good example is a project running behind schedule and is coming up to Christmas, how that could be completely different to a project that's running smoothly. The cognitive state of mind. So the, the supervisor that you're about to deal with did he just have a fight with his partner prior to coming to work or did he just have a good workout at the gym? And then finally, what is your self-image? And this goes beyond the simple knowledge or experience and it goes into the underlying key events that shape you as a person. What is it in our underlying big assumption and story that we're being told? And another way of demonstrating this, think of the timeline of someone's life and then think about the small portion at the end that you think you know about. So to move beyond having conversations blindfolded, a conversation and question culture helps learn and understand the alternative perspectives of people. On our next video, we'll explore the last two factors of banded rationality that we touched on today and how these potentially sabotage communication. So if you want to learn more about conversation and question culture, be sure to follow us and keep up to date with the content as posted during February. And want to know even more, feel free to drop us a line. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Shivendra, and I welcome you to tonight's discussion on transforming the transforming Australia's construction industry, a ground-up approach, where we are discussing addressing culture-related tensions in the construction industry. Before I introduce the panel, I wanted to acknowledge uh, the Better Construction Network for the video that they sent to us, which we've shown at the start. They're putting some good content, very practical content out there uh, so for those of you who want to follow that. Uh, there's a couple of points to note uh, as we get started. We will firstly have 30 minutes with the panel and then open up the forum for questions. Uh, so everyone in the audience is able to ask questions using the chat function uh, that Zoom has. And during the panel discussion, you're also welcome to respond to the questions that the panel is responding to. Of course, all of you cannot respond to the questions that are metal or robot score specific, but there are some general questions which we would like to hear your thoughts and opinions on as well. We may not be able to get to every comment or question, but uh, your points will be noted and used for continuing the discussions. And if along the way you have any concerns or any questions or there's some technical issues, feel free to uh, drop a message on the chat, on chat box or send me a direct message on, uh, on LinkedIn. Now, I have the honor of introducing the panel all of whom who responded to this invitation promptly with enthusiasm and willingness to share what they have done in their respective areas. First up is our chair, and my, I would like to say my partner in crime for the hard convo, Matthew Mackey, 
Matthew is the National Director for Cost and Commercial at Arcadis in Australia, and he's extremely passionate about the future of our industry. He's a recognized commercial leader with extensive local and international cost management expertise, developed over 20 years in the construction industry. Matthew has lived in Brisbane for almost 10 years and has worked on a diverse number of projects across Australia, including the Brisbane International Cruise Terminal, Auckland Airport Second Runway Expansion, and Sydney Metro. So welcoming uh, Matthew uh, Mackey. The next, uh, uh, the, the members of the panel, firstly, I'd like to introduce Alison Myrams, who is the founding chief executive officer of boutique tier one construction company, Robert Skull, as they're known now. The company was founded in January, 2017, and within the first three years has a workbook of over $1 billion. Alison is deeply passionate about addressing the systematic issues that exist in the construction industry and attracting and retaining more women in the industry. And we also acknowledge that today's event coincides with the International Women's Day, which was yesterday, and it's timely that we are having a conversation on, on culture. Alison has worked in the construction industry for 25 years, and prior to establishing Robert Skull, Alison led the New South Wales ACT Regional Business Unit for Land Leases Building Business for nearly three years. Prior to joining Lendlease, Alison enjoyed a successful 16-year career at Multiplex, rising from a contracts administrator to regional director. But most importantly, though, something that Alison is most proud of is that she is the class mom for her son's year two class. And I thought that's something that, uh, that should be mentioned in a forum from like this. Uh, welcome, Alison. I'd like to also introduce uh, Mark Kenny, uh, the managing director of Metal. He has over 25 years of uh, diversified industry experience within Australia and abroad. Over this time, he has uh, worked across multiple industry sectors, which include commercial, retail, health, hotels, aviation, and residential. I should be saying there's no, no area that he hasn't worked in. Mark is well known in the industry for his ability to understand project drivers and build teams around them to deliver on his clients' requirements and expectations. Mark holds overall responsibility for the business in his, and is actively involved in all aspects of it. He has a hands-on approach from project acquisition to completion, which provides for a consistent delivery experience for all Metal's clients. Mark has featured in the CEO magazines and various other industry publications for his efforts in transforming Metal and embracing innovation. I've had many interactions with Mark now, and I find he's someone who's very enthusiastic about the industry and takes great pride in the people side of the, of the business. And finally, I'd like to introduce Kevin, uh, Kevin Porter. Kevin is a sociocultural anthropologist from the UK and the founder of Brisbane-based consulting company, Anthropogenesis. Anthropogenesis is a consulting company that helps businesses and organizations find solutions to their human-centric problems and to make sense of the complex world they operate in. Kevin holds degrees from the University of Edinburgh and the University of Queensland in Social Sciences and Social Sociocultural Anthropology. His undergraduate training cut across various disciplines ranging from anthropology, sociology, and psychology to Middle Eastern studies, politics, economics, and environmental studies. His main area of interest lies in identity with a specific focus on group cohesion, socialization processes, and organizations and institutions, something that's very relevant in how we do business these days. He has conducted research in the UK, Spain, Germany, Israel, and Australia for private companies and NGOs. So welcome, uh, Kevin, Mark, and Alison. Without further delay, I invite uh, now Matthew Mackey to commence uh, today's uh, panel and get started with the, the hard, hard conversations we're going to have. Matthew. All right, thank you very much for that, Shiv. Um, yeah, so I would just like to point out to everybody who's listening that this is the first time that I've ever moderated a panel online. So strap in, this could get rough. Um, so um, I think everyone's aware of the of the basis for this uh, for this second event. We've been talking a while now about the need for change within the industry, uh, and one of the aspects that have kind of come to the fore in in our discussions online and, and polls that we've run is that culture is seems to be one of the biggest issues that people want to see addressed. It's obviously a big beast to try and tackle, uh, which is one of the conversations we want to uh, try and have today with you guys and, and really continue that, you know, that hard conversation. So please be as, uh, you know, to Mark, Alison and Kevin, please be as hard hitting as you possibly can. If we don't get our dirty laundry on the table, then, you know, we're, it, we're going to get out into the open. So um, just refer to uh, a recent LinkedIn poll um, has indicated that culture is something that we need to, that needs to be looked at. 
obviously a number of different aspects to that, you know, from, from trust to um, uh, through to respect. Um, and so do you think that outcome, does that, just generally for the panel, I'll start with you, Alison. Um, does that outcome surprise you? Um, how, how do you think trust um, you know, should feature in, t- in terms of this part of this, this discussion? Is it a big issue that we need to try and challenge? Mark's laughing at me. Um, I, I think definitely we we have trust issues in the industry and it's such a, the way we contract with each other and the, the contracts that are set up that are litigious and it's all set up um, in a very harsh environment, passing risk to people and, and putting people under enormous pressure. Um, I, I think it is a big issue in the industry and I think culture is a massive issue in the industry. Mark, um, what, what about you? Just a quick two minutes in terms of your views. Oh, um, look, I agree with Alison. As the, as the temperature in the room rises with, with risk, risk, risk being shoved into, you know, to sit in one repository being the contractor's arms, um, you know, it, 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 it generates a, a certain level of machismo to deal with it. And, and, and machismo is, uh, is, you know, what this what bad past industry feed off and, um, and create bad cultures from. So she's absolutely right. It, it starts with, you know, con- I guess, with contract risk. Contributes to it, but um, but certainly, yeah, it should be something that we, uh, we we work on so that we don't let that happen in the future. Um, Kevin, just uh, just throwing to you, you're yeah. not um, been, you know, yeah. a better description an industry participant. Uh, I know you've been observing um, what's been happening in the industry for a while. What are your? Is it purely down to contracts? Is it purely down to risk allocation? Or the- oh, it's never just down to one thing. Hi, sorry, hi. Um, it's never just down to one thing. I mean, trust is one thing. And- Trust is the lubricant that helps us cooperate and interact with each other. And, you know, the more we trust, the better we cooperate. Um, so, yeah, trust is essential in any group or society, if, you know, if they succeed. You know, the opposite is mistrust. And mistrust is, tends to be a breakdown of society. You know, we've seen what's been happening over the last two years with the Trump presidency, with Brexit, with COVID. You know, there's a lot of distrust out there because there's a lot of... Um, action that's negative to you know the things that we actually value so as long as there's negative action there'll be negative trust okay thanks for that i i think i'd just like to unpack that just, just probably just a little bit further is that you're following from what mark and allison were saying um and i you know appreciate this is the, the opening statement so it's probably there'll be a lot more to it but we're talking about contractual relationships and how and how the risk allocation has kind of resulted in this kind of position of trust and mistrust um but I can't help but think that it's deeper than that on the basis that I've, I've, I know people who behave one, one way in terms of the office, in terms of how they operate in the industry, and then how they go and operate outside either at the, you know, the kids' football club or, or, or whatever sports club or any other kind of, kind of social dealings are completely different. Yeah. So yeah. how have we created, uh, and I like Alison and Mark's comments on this as well, how have we created this kind of industry where you can actually have, you can almost be bipolar, in terms of how you operate in your working day versus how you're going to behave, you know, uh, behave with people at night. Because we asked all people at the end of the day, how has it got to this extreme? Uh, Alison, I'd just like your views on that. The culture in the industry is such that everything is squeezed to within an inch of its life. And we've got a nasty risk profile. We've got, um, we've got very tight margins. We've got big egos in the industry um, and I think when you put all that together it can generate very bad behaviour if you're not focused on it. Mark do you concur with that or have you got a different view? Oh look yeah, to, to a point um, I, I guess look for me the fundamental difference between if you're talking about you know how you behave in in, uh, in the work environment and construction and you step outside to you know what Matthew was saying before about you can be two different people I guess the the uh, the environment, the environment that uh, the construct in, the construction industry fosters at the moment, large by and large, is is based off purely transactional sort of thinking. Um, um, yeah, you step outside of that into your, your personal life, and, and you know, that, that that's not how you are. I mean, like you know, you, you get outside of, of, of work, and it's more it's more probably um, you know transformational. You know, you, what you can give, um, you know, how you can be a better person, so on and so forth. I guess when you add the pressure. You know, as Alison said about you know how everything's squeezed down so tight and egos and so on and so forth, it, 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 it subscribes to more of a transactional sort of environment rather than transformational, in my, in my opinion anyway. Kevin, have you got anything on the back of that? Yeah, I think um, one of the things that I was um, thinking about is that 
you know, you were talking about how people are two different things or various different things, but this is the basis of identity. We're not one thing. We're a number of things where our identities are made up of uh, the roles that we play. So we're, you know, you're different as a father, you're different as a husband, you're different with the people you interact with, you use different language. And work is just another role that we play, you know? So if you're an engineer, you have engineers speaking, there's certain implicit and explicit kind of rules of behavior. Some, and um, we, we, kind of dance in between these various different um, roles that we play. Sometimes we carry certain aspects of one role into another. So if you're having a bad day in one thing, it's not necessarily guaranteed that you're going to be able to turn that off in the next situation. So, you know, humans are very complex. We have a lot of issues. And then within the building industry, you start off on a negative foot in the first place because you're all trying to sink to the lowest price. I mean, you're making promises on things that you probably can't fulfill, you know, which is why you end up overspending and running over over your, your time allocation because you're setting yourself up for failure in the first place. Great, thanks for that, everybody. Um, um, yeah, we do have some pre-prepared questions, but we're getting a few questions through now, and one of them I just can't believe, just because we are in the week of International Women's Day. Um, uh, Christine Shule, I hope I pronounced your, um, your surname correctly, um, she's asked, uh, would the, you know, the issues we talk about culture and tr trust, would that change if we had more women in the industry to, do, to diffuse some of the uh, machismo? So, Alison, I'll probably have to throw that to you first. Absolutely. Uh, I, I definitely uh, think it would. And I know in our organisation, um, from when we started to where we are now, we've got 25% of the organisation um, across our entire organisation is females. It's 33% if I just focus on staff. Um, the conversations in our office are very different. The conversations are, if you walk through our office, you wouldn't know we're a building company. And I think the other thing that we've also done is call out bad behaviour. And there is a massive propensity in our industry that if you are performing, you survive. And yeah, he's an ass. And yeah, there's roadkill behind him. But if he wasn't pushing the job as hard as he could, we wouldn't get finished and then we'd be on LDs and we'll deal with it later. And, yep, there's no emotional intelligence there, but but that's okay because we finished the job. Um, we've exited 12 people along the way in four years because they weren't right and because some of them were behaving badly. And at first I was a bit afraid to do it and a bit afraid of what my competitors would say because they love to pick on me. Um, but now I say it really proudly because... You do have to call out bad behaviour and you do have to say that's not okay. Uh, and, you know, getting the gender balance different, getting the race balance different, the age balance different, it will all help. It will all help. Mark, do you have a perspective on that? Oh, I think, I think Alison explained pretty well. Look, I think gender is certainly you know, one ingredient to, uh, to, um, to, to fixing the problem. Um, but, but, but clearly you, you don't... You, I guess people have to perform and they have to behave the right way as well too. It's not they're not they're not mutually exclusive of one another. Um, you, you, you can't be, as as Alison said, it was quite good. You know, charging through and leaving roadkill behind you. Um, yeah, because ultimately, in the, the day, that 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 doesn't that doesn't create a sustainable business. That that's more of a transactional transactionally based business, and it's not it's not part of the future of construction, in my view. Uh, I have to say that uh, Alison's example there of um, driving through and uh, roadkill behind, if anyone's been on any of the big roads across Australia, they'll, they'll know what that looks like. I think that's a, a very, very apt description of how some people operate in the industry. Um, but I think um, from a discussions I've been having today on LinkedIn, uh, and I don't know if you've um, seen the article itself, Mark, and I know you're based up in, uh, up in Queensland as well. Uh, there was an article in the Courier Mail, um, which kind of implied, well, it didn't kind of implied, almost outrightly said that um, bullying and harassment of women have increased because women have been pushed to, into trades, um, in, in, in terms of like, like trade companies and trade organisations. Um, and they're therefore in male-dominated environments uh, and therefore the kind of it's kind of backfired because harassment and abuse has actually increased, all because of this trying to push to increase the number of women in the workforce. For me, that kind of outline, you know, underlines the societal issues that we have. It's not just necessarily about industry. Some of this is about a societal thing as well, that they view the industry as male-dominated and therefore no place for the woman. Um, but I was actually horrified that that actually came out in, a, you know, in, in, in what is a reasonably well-respected paper. Um, I don't know if any of you guys had a chance to, to look at the article today or, or, or see the, the, the LinkedIn post, but what, what were your views of it? Um, uh, um, it's obviously very distressing to read, but 
Um, I'm not going to say I was surprised, but um, I can understand it. I mean, I I have, um, I'm very lucky I've grown up in the construction industry and I've come through from the ground up and I spent eight years on site. So technically I can't be challenged in terms of, you know, she's a girl, she doesn't know what she's doing because I spent a lot of time on sites. Um, But in what we've done at Roberts Co in trying to change the industry and trying to make it more family friendly and trying to make it more approachable for women, I have been bullied and harassed by white middle-aged men. The irony is hilarious that I'm trying to make it more approachable for women and it's white middle-aged men that have said to me, don't. Now, I don't think it's related to necessarily being a female. I think it's related to um, being scared of change. We are an industry that has always done it the same way for 50 years and a little girl comes along and says, hey, there's a better way, why don't we try this? And I think it's frightening for people. I, I, I enjoy living in a state of change. Um, not everyone does. Mark, just welcome to you, Kevin. Um, I don't know if you had a chance to see that, that article today that you know uh, that I referred to and I was still on the back of, but... Do you think that the wider societal uh, underlying issues that, that we have around gender, do you think that has a big contributing factor or can we say that <laughs> the issues that are in construction are, is it, are, are, are of its own making to an extent? Yes, 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 yes. yes. I agree with that. So far. I mean, um, there's, um, look, Australia, you know, it has this cultural heritage from the UK, you know, which is also kind of, you know, it suffers from the chauvinism. You know, if you look at Australia, the, the three main sports, you know, rugby league, rugby union, Aussie rules, football, these are kind of, you know, very macho games where you're supposed to bash each other up and not show any emotion, not show any pain, you know. So, you know, if you come home and, you know, turn on the television and watch Parliament, you know, it's very boisterous. It's it's like a private boys' school or, you know, a barrack block. So, yeah, there's a lot of, um, traditionally all these fields have been male-dominated fields where men can say, and do as they kind of wish. They bully each other, and you know this is now moving on to across the gender as the gender gap as women come into these areas as well. So yeah, we've got to. I mean, we're talking about it, which is the main thing. This wasn't nobody was talking about this twenty years ago. So you know, this is a major improvement. Uh, Alison, do you want to um, say anything on the back of that? I I actually think um, to get diversity and to get the right culture, it starts at the top. And it has to be driven by the CEO and it has to be driven as um, core business. It's not a business initiative. It's not to be um, a side project. And I think that's where a lot of companies fall down. They make it a side project and it's not a side project. Um, And I know in employing women, we have positively discriminated to get women into our organisation. And by that I mean um, if a woman has has 9 out of 10 attributes she will tell you she's missing 10 percent if a guy has four out of 10 attributes he will say i'm fully proficient so you need to be prepared to say to the woman that it's okay you don't need to have everything and i'm going to train you you need to be prepared not to ask for 10 years of experience on a two billion dollar project because they might not have that experience and if women don't think they have the experience they don't apply if they think i can't get through they just don't apply they don't have a go so You've got to look at um, what you're putting out there. Women also take longer to employ, so they're very loyal. Um, they undersell themselves. There's a lot of talking to get to get women across the line, and we have been absolutely focused on it. The other thing, when you do reference checks, um, a guy will say, oh, yeah, she had an issue, um, she cried a lot, or she couldn't cope. Was that the woman's issue or was that the culture she was working in? And that's what you've got to differentiate with. And we've said to every at every point, um, that's okay, we'll take them on and we'll give them a crack. And all of them have risen as, as um, you know, they've shone. They're like watching a flower um, open because they've been in the right environment, in the right culture, with the right opportunity and the right support to shine. So there is a lot that you have to do to positively get women into your organisation in a male environment. Great, thank you. Um... Uh, just trying to move this into a slightly different direction now, because I'm pretty sure we could talk about the, the gender disparity for quite a while. Um, Bob Wildermuth, uh, who's a very, very you know, strong commentator in this area, uh, has, has asked, what does the panel think about changing the prevalent procurement model away from lowest price to a model that delivers a project for the optimal cost subject to legislation and health and safety requirements, et cetera? Um, I, I can almost guarantee what Mark and Alison's answer are going to be on that, so I'll come to you in a minute. But, Kevin, could you give me your views? Because I think you you, uh, you touched on the on the race to the bottom earlier. 
Oh, it's, it's essential to have realistic expectations. You know, if, I mean, if you're going to start off with an imaginary kind of goal that's unachievable, then, like I say, you've set yourself up for, for failure all the way. You know, if it's you create pressure, you create a whole lot of negative um, circumstances from the very start, which people then have to try and deal with. You know, it's it's ridiculous. So, yeah, it definitely needs to. You have to look at how you're procuring. You have to look at how you share risk. But in order to do that, you have to understand risk. You have to understand what risks are and how we risks are socially and culturally developed. They're not, they don't exist there out in the world by themselves. So these are things that we create and this has to be examined. This has to be understood. It has to start from the top, like Alison said. It can't start from the bottom. It has to start from the top. CEOs and boards have to inform themselves. It isn't a side project. It's a, a main issue that has to be addressed and dealt with. You know, you have to start training your own staff instead of trying to bring in people from abroad. I mean, this, this, I don't know where you would start with all these problems, you know. I think you'd start by doing a study to look in, because the problem is also twofold, that you have an industry problem, and then which is a collective problem in the way you do and deal with each other. But then you also have a problem with the individual companies themselves and what their culture is and what their expectations are of their staff. Are their KPIs realistic? You know, so there's a, there's a, a lot of things to sort out, you know, and it should be done using scientific methods and intelligently rather than just ad hoc with a guess and a, a wing it. Yeah, um, Mark, Alison, I'd uh, invite you, you know, your experience in terms of, you know, collaborative contracting, et cetera, and what your views are. Is there, is there a place for it? Is it always going to work? Should it be collaborative contracting in, in place of you know, hard dollar tender, or is there room for both in the right circumstances? Oh, my, 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 my view, oh, sorry, Alison, you're on a five-round run or? You go. Uh, my, my, my view on life is that, uh, in a, in a collaborative like negotiated contract format, you deliver the best results for your clients, uh, for the business and the people that live within it, and your supply chain as well too. Like, uh, you know, in a, in a high-risk environment where your price has been driven down and, you know, everyone's scrambling for that last buck or that, or that last little bit of edge, um, it narrows decision-making processes, it stifles, it stifles innovation, and it allows bad culture to, to, to creep in. It, it's, it's, look, it's got its place, but... but in my view, um, you know, look, a, a negotiated or, or a collaborative, you know, contracting model certainly um, you know, diversifies the offering that, 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 you know, you can make to your client um, and, and, and also that, you know, it allows people within your business to shine a, a bit differently other than just, you know, driving for that last extra buck. And I think as well, um, collaborative contracting would be amazing. Two points to make. Um, we can blame clients, but at the end of the day, contractors say yes to the risk profile. And if all contractors said no, there would be no one to take the job and the client would have to change the risk profile. So contractors need to stand up and say enough's enough. Um, second point I'd say is when we started Roberts, we um, wrote our contracts from scratch and I page limited the lawyers. So I page limited our lawyers to 24 pages. The biggest contract we have with our supply chain is 24 pages. It says in black ink, we will be fair and reasonable. The result is Subcontractors sign our contract within two weeks, most of them unamended, um, and it's written in simple English so you don't need lawyers to do it. So we can sit back and blame everyone else and say the supply chain's wrong, the risk profile's wrong, it's all turned to poo and it's everyone else's problem. Or we can say it's not right. Yes, I might have to take it at the moment from upstream, but I'm not going to pass it down because it's not right and I'm going to act with decency. And that's what we've done. So I've got a gap risk sitting there that we can manage. Um, and consultants, I think it's 16 pages and I get emails from consultants saying this is amazing. If this is how your projects run and this is my first touch of your company, I love what you're doing. Um, so I think as well we all have a, a, a responsibility to stand up and say it's not okay and where you pass it down, change how you behave. Kiri Parr has uh, raised a very, very good question, um, almost like she was preempted what we were going to talk about. Um, she says a lot of sins seem to sit behind the phrase value for money. How do you how would you redefine it if you could? Um, and I suppose uh, you know the, the, just adding on to that is uh, we hear you know from a consultant perspective, and I know it's the same for you guys because I've managed a lot of the tenders. You guys would have the kind of tenders that you would have responded to. We talk about value from a client perspective. We can't articulate what value looks like for ourselves. We expect you to define it for us. But invariably, and I would put this at the door of a lot of the government clients as well, when it comes back through the door in terms of your tender submission, it's very difficult to assess one contractor's value over another. And that's when we end up looking at price. So what would be your, and I, and I might start with you on this, Kevin, actually, from um, 
from a kind of like outside looking in perspective. Um, what's the best way of trying to understand what value actually looks like and how people need to you know, need to assess it and, and, and make a choice based on value rather than necessarily price? Again, values are culturally shaped, they're culturally defined. So <clears throat> values affected the same way as trust by um, age, gender, you know, so... Um, Look, people have to have to literally, you know, have to rethink how we have relationships with one another. You know, it's about creating strategic partnerships. It's about um, going into reciprocal relationships with people. You know, we have to um, understand that what I want for myself, other people want for themselves as well. We're naturally social, so we we are capable of cooperating on a like really high level. You know, Alison has shown that you know with a bit of thought behind the process of how you're recruiting people and who you're recruiting and what you look for these are all positive changes that need to be implemented across the board okay um yeah thanks for that, kevin i suppose um you know when you say we're social animals we seem to be in all aspects of life apart from in the construction industry which is kind of what's driving this conversation well no one of the one of the i think one of the problems is that, that over the last 40 years we've had a very strong increase in individualism you know which is this um this neoliberal idea you know, that um, it's better to divide and conquer. So what that's done is it's, um, you know, everybody's told that their rights and their, their desires come first beyond society, beyond the, anything else is communism. So this has a, the army struggles a lot at the moment with recruiting people because nobody wants to serve. And then when they do recruit people, they don't want to take the orders and, you know, they actually get answers like, why should I, you know? So, you know, we live in a society where people are more and more self-driven, self-motivated, but not necessarily for the right reasons, you know, and they don't, if you have this divided society where everybody's, you know, trying to fulfill their own needs and their own desires, then we don't, we lack the cooperation. So how are we going to get people to work together if everybody, if everybody is self-interested? So again, it's re-educating people, you know, that there's, um, there's more to life than just yourself. There's also this fulfilling thing of cooperation. You know, when we see a soccer team or a rugby team or, you know, a ballet, you know, we admire the the timing, we admire people working together. That's the thing that makes it beautiful, you know, and it's a, it doesn't just stop with sport or arts and entertainment. It can flow all the way through, you know, it's how the army recruits and trains special forces soldiers. I mean, and not just in Australia and Britain, worldwide, they're looking for specific types of people with specific skills that aren't necessarily, I know how to be the best soldier, but it's, you know, determination, the will to want to succeed, the will to want to work in a team. So it's about finding the right people. You can train anybody to do anything if they've got if they buy into your idea and your project. Yes, that's spot on. But um, Alison, what do you think of that? You know that that constant battle between price over value or value over price. How how can clients uh, you know start assessing value? Um, what, what what are your views on that? Um, I, I need to think about it more. You know, it's a question on notice. Um, I, I think. I think it's lazy just looking at price. Um, when we when we built Zurich Tower, uh, the start of the job, we signed a spirit of the deal with the client and the spirit of the deal was two pages and it set out Zurich's intentions for the job, their aims and their objectives and then it set out how we would behave as a team and we signed it, Zurich signed it and the client's project manager signed it and it sat in a higher precedence than the, than the contract. And so during the job, we could say, okay, that's not in accordance with the spirit of the deal, you can't do that or... Um, that's not in accordance with the spirit of the deal. So it kept everyone honest and kept everyone focused on the end game um, that we all wanted to build a really successful project for our client and that Zurich would be really proud of and that we would be really proud of and that subbies and consultants would be really proud of. Um, and, and so approaching it a bit differently with the spirit of the deal, two pages, very simple. It changed the whole dynamics of the team and it kept everyone focused on where we wanted to go as a team. Um, price is just the lowest common denominator across everyone. You've got to look at, um, you know, the price, the program, the relationship with stakeholders, the how you're going to manage the neighbours, how your safety is, how your diversity is. Um, you know, are you going to employ local people? Are you going to feed the local economy? Have you got Indigenous workers? How are you going to train? There are so many ways you can do it, but the problem is it's harder to look at all those things and it's easy just to go to price. Um, price doesn't get you the best outcome, though. Yeah, agreed. Um, so just to try and throw this uh, out in a slightly different direction now, um, you know, we talk about trust, we've been talking about respect, we've been talking about diversity, we've been talking about contracts and kill all the lawyers, I think was a statement that wasn't said, but may have been inferred. Um, but from both from Mark and uh, Alice and your perspectives, uh, you know, you're trying to do things differently within your business, uh, within your respective businesses. Alison, you've already 
made, you know, you know, pointed out a couple of examples where you're trying to do it. But Mark, just starting with you, what kind of things are you doing at Metal that is, you know, trying to create, you know, a better outcome or a, if you like, a, a better community within within your organisation to try and hit some of these issues that are, you know, prevalent within the, within the industry? Yeah, well, I, I guess um, at, at, at the when metal got, when metal got going, um, we the, the company set out about documenting what it wanted its culture to be. Uh, I, I my previous life before metal, I was I, I started built in um, in Queensland and, and ran it for about ten years before I, I, I came over to metal. So I've seen I've seen how culture can grow organically, and I've, I've seen that you know once it once it gets hardwired in, it's very hard to to reprogram it down the track. And and um, starting a business from scratch, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's all hands on the wheel, and and things just happen organically. You know, it, it's not it's not intended to culture certainly wasn't intended at my previous employment to, to become what it was, but it became it turned into a certain type of of animal, which. Which which I wanted to change a little bit at metal. So, so what what we've done at metal is metal has has looked at I guess documenting what it wanted its culture to to, to look like, and then we did that. Uh, well, metal did that two 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 ways. So we, we worked out well, you know, what 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 does metal the company sit on top of, um, and and what it sits on top of is is three layers of bedrock. So the the, the first layer of the bedrock is our social capital. So this is about, you know, as an employee, when you come into metal, it's, it's about who you are, what your habits are, how you manage others under stress, and this is where it starts. It's about who you be. And then sitting on top of that is our, our human capital, which is, you know, the actual arms and legs in the business, how that do the work, and this is about how you do things. And then underneath the, the last layer is, is our financial capital, which is basically, you know, the company's got to be profitable to survive. It, 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 it can't not do that, but... It's about how the employees' actions affect the profitability of metal. So, and metal ultimately sits on sits on top of that. Um, you know, and, that, and that's I guess metal is the vehicle which you know defines the level of impact that you know metal can have, and ultimately how it's perceived in the market and in, in, in a broader social context. So, so in summary, you know who you be underpins how you do things, which affects the profitability of the business, which ultimately allows the business to do good things. And and for me, I've always been about you know good people doing good things together. So, you know, if, if using that as a basis to springboard that from, well, you know, what are the good things that metal can do when, when, when we set that up the right way? And, and I guess, you know, at metal, you know, we develop our people to be to be good people, not just good professionals. So we run a program here called RGF, which is called Reflect Gaze Forward, which, which basically is a is about the person and, and developing that, that that person outside of REM reviews and what have you. It's a, it's a completely separate process. Um, and um and, and it's really about engaging our people on a, on, a, on a purely people level rather than just on a you know a, you know this is what your salary is going to look like and you need to do this sort of technical training and you know, that 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 stuff's boring the the the, the better stuff is actually about getting people to bring their themselves to work as they are um yeah the other thing that allows metal to do is is, is be innovative as well too um, you know look we're we're currently building a a new corporate head off, head office and. And we're using uh, cement-free concrete to, to do that. So it's a, it's a world first in, in that application. And, and, you know, again, you know, in creating, a, I guess, a, an environment or a culture that, that people feel comfortable to be innovative in is, 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 it is important to us and it certainly, um, certainly has propelled that, that particular initiative forward in our business. Um, and, 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 look, I guess the other good thing that allows Metal to do is to support charities and teach them how to be... Oh, in this particular instance this year, we, we support a charity called Here and Say, which are uh, a, 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 a charity that supports deaf, deaf children and helps them be the best they can be. But, but this, last year during a pandemic, we, we helped them raise more than they had previous year by about double, I think. And 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 what we actually did during that process was was actually not just teach them how to raise, how to how to, or not just hand them money, but teach them how to go fishing as well too. So. So, so I guess um, you know that all leads on to my firm belief about you know um, you know being transformational in your in your approach to culture rather than than, um, than transactional. Um, you know, transactional sort of models they, they 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 work, but they're like gladiator school and they're very unforgiving and not entirely sustainable. You know, the the machismo sort of undercurrent that drives those types of models um, they kill your business. 
your people won't talk about their problems because they look weak or not on the ball. And this has got enormous repercussions inside and outside the business. Look, I've actually seen it. There are key people in the business concealing or massaging the extent of a problem from their clients or managers because they don't know how they should handle it. They're not in a comfortable culture. Um, and, then, and, and, and they're basically afraid of, of being able to bring bad news to the table, um, either because they look weak or they're not on the ball or, or, or the culture doesn't permit them to do so. Um, you know, um, and I just I, I shudder thinking about the stress that those sort of people must be under and, I, and ask myself why, you know, in that situation, why well, they couldn't disclose the problem. So having a culture that, that, that allows that sort of that freedom of communication and disclosure, I think, is you know, very, very important. Um, you know, if you're after innovative workforce who, who is looking for a competitive edge, sustainable, you want you want them in the right environment to be to, to do that. You know, they've got to be feel comfortable pushing the envelope. One where they, you know, one, if, if not one where they fear it. You know, as a business owner, I, I love it when employees come to me with a well thought out proposal that involves a bit of risk, but it's got benefit attached to it. You know, this environment pushes a company to a higher height. You know, you might get the same results from a bullying the market in submission, but it's not sustainable. And I don't think if people continue to work this way, we, we have to change. So that that's getting a bit of a nutshell there, I guess, for me. Yeah, thanks for that, Mark. Um, uh, yeah, I think you're right. Uh, I think we constantly keep asking ourselves, how long can this go on for? Well, how long have we been going as an industry? 40, 50, 60, 75 years? And, you know, we're still doing it the same way. And I think that's probably the biggest issue that we have is that we've allowed it to get this far. Uh, but uh, Alison, over to you. What kind of things have you brought in um, at Robert's Co to try and drive that cultural change? Uh, you mentioned before about increasing diversity. I mean, have you, for example, stopped employing lawyers? Um, what other things have you actually brought in at Roberts? Uh, I, I, I actually don't have internal legal counsel. Uh, I, I'm a fantastic bush lawyer, um, but it is a bush lawyer. Uh, so I read all of our contracts and uh, I've got Norton Rose who work for us externally, but I don't have an internal legal counsel for that reason. Um, what we did, uh, similar to Mark, starting from a blank sheet of paper, was when you look at the industry, it's unsustainable. And uh, we we have very high divorce rate, very high suicide rate, very high presenteeism. Now, I can't fix all those things, but we can influence the stats by how we behave. And so we made a conscious decision to address everything at the same time. And I think a lot of companies struggle with what to do because there's not a silver bullet that fixes it. It is a sum of a lot of low-hanging fruit and we have been able to attack it all at the same time. So everything we're doing is founded in decency. And you'll hear people talk about IQ and EQ. But if you don't have DQ, which is your decency quotient, you can have high emotional intelligence but still be an arsehole. You're just aware you're an arsehole. Um, and so everything that we're doing is founded in decency. So we have IQ, EQ and DQ. And the litmus test is would I accept it as a person and if I wouldn't accept it or if I wouldn't accept it from a client, then we're not going to pass it to someone else. So we fixed our contracts. Uh, we're very particular about who we work for. Uh, if I if we're not aligned with the client's values, we don't tend to do them. Um, we've got fantastic people. We're trying to put technology through the business so that tech does the grunt work to give our people um, time to think and use their brains and make their work easier to be done so they can get home and, and celebrate with their families. You know, I'm sitting here in the office at the moment and there's one other person in our office and has been for the last hour and a half because everyone's at home and it's celebrated to go home and be with your family. Um, but what we're the biggest change we've actually driven is the five-day work week at Concord Hospital. And uh, as I said, we have very high suicide rates. So we're building Concord Hospital five days a week. And we've got the University of New South Wales, Dr. Natalie Galea, studying it. Uh, and it's been really interesting when we when we said to health infrastructure, you of all people can't allow someone to die from suicide caused by workplace stress when you're building a hospital to make people better. So let's try this. And to their absolute credit, they said yes. We added 10 weeks to our program, uh, which was $2.5 million. There was no increase in cost from the supply chain at all, and it was only the cost of our prelims. Uh, to date, it is a screaming success. The workers are saying, I'm happier, I'm healthier, um, I'm seeing my kids play sport, I'm playing sport myself. You know, it's the Australian dream to play sport. The wives are saying, um, my partner is happier, he's less depressed, he's got a better relationship with myself, my kids. Um, the companies are saying it's the most productive site we have, uh, it's the most efficient and safest site we have. But what really surprised, and, and I probably expected all that, what really surprised me was the wives saying, 
that they've left the workforce because of their husband's working patterns, that when they have kids, everything on the kids falls to the wife. And when you think about it, we are an industry that is core at attracting women. By our working habits, we are stopping women from working in society, in the economy, full stop, because they have to look after kids and that's not okay. So what we're doing is trialling five-day week. As I said, Natalie's studying it. We'll have an interim report at the end of quarter one. We'll have the full report September, October, November when the job's finished. What I can tell you categorically is we are going to deliver the job ahead of um, the program to all my competitors who keep telling everyone we're behind program. We are not behind program. Uh, And on the current rate of progress, we will finish on the six-day program working five days a week. So what we have seen is increased productivity. So the subcontractors are saying, this is amazing. I've now got two days to rest. When you give everyone the extra day off, it is an additional six weeks of leave per annum. Six weeks is massive. Granted, it's not in one block, but they get six weeks per annum. My crane driver did the maths for me the other day and said, Al, for every eight years I work on a site that's five days a week, I get one entire year with my family. You put that through your 40-year career and it's five years with your family. Now, if we're delivering and we've got increased productivity, tell me why I'm being bullied and harassed for making the change because we are getting increased productivity and we have happier, healthier workers and happier and healthier families, wives and kids. And even if it took longer, so what? We've got to a point where we're pushing, pushing, pushing and what is the cost that we are making of that push? And it's time to reset. You know, COVID showed everyone wants flexibility. COVID showed everyone wants to be at home. And suddenly men got to experience, let's have dinner with the family because I can jump online later or I've jumped online all day. I can have dinner with the kids. I can take them to the beach. I can go to footy training. Don't lose that. It put us in the fastest, biggest experiment on flexible working and it was a resounding success. Um, I believe enormously passionately in what we are doing. I just need the industry to get on board with it. Thanks for that. Was, uh, extremely, extremely powerful. And as we're in a, a circle of safety, uh, I don't mind saying that I was actually beating to well up a little bit then as well. So thank you for that. Thank you. Um, I think um, we are coming close on time. So I just want to try and round off with a couple of minutes from, from each of you uh, on, a, on a final question. Um, one thing that the UK has recently introduced, and I know that John Davis and the ACA have been um, have been been pushing this out into the market as an example approach. Um, but the UK have published uh, their construction play- playbook for the UK construction industry. Uh, and I know that New South Wales back in 2018 did a 10-point commitment plan to the construction industry. Um, I'm not entirely sure how successful that was. Um, but what are your views? Do you think, uh, and I'll start with you, Kevin, uh, what do you think the industry needs some kind of construction playbook or whatever we want to call it? Do we need some kind of guidelines of of acceptable behaviours within the industry that we need everyone to sign up to. Yeah, of course. And you need to look around further than just the UK. You know, you need to look at countries like Germany, Switzerland, the Scandinavian countries, and look at how they do their procurements. And, you know, we're in the 21st century. The information is all at hand. You know, people should be using their brains and, you know, trying to find sensible solutions to the problems that we have, you know, and it's it's not impossible. So, yeah, definitely. You know. Mark? Oh, I, I, I would agree. I, I think that... Um, the, the biggest thing that needs to be introduced into the industry and um, is behavioural metrics. Um, it, it's it's largely, I guess, people speak about it, and, and but but they don't action it as much as they should. And I think that that's certainly something that that um, that would help our industry immeasurably, in my view. And I would just like to echo what Alison said a minute ago, and I've written it down. The quote was that great. You can have high EQ, but still be an arsehole. You're just aware that you're an arsehole. And that <laughs> just kind of sums it up. It's awesome. Uh, uh, Alison, final thoughts from you in terms of whether the industry needs some kind of set of, you know, a set of guidance in terms of how we should be behaving. I'm disappointed to say the industry needs guidelines. Um, people are not making the change. You know, it was really interesting when we started Concord. It's been a year and a half, and I thought when we started it and Subby started talking about it and said it's great, everyone would get on board. Um, they didn't get on board and they did quite the opposite. And everyone now says to me, I can't wait to see your research. I really want your data. I want your data. I feel like not publishing it and saying, you know what, if you can't see morally this is the right thing to do, then I'm not going to force you. But unfortunately, I think you've got to lead the horse to water and you've got to actually shove its head in the trough or it won't drink. Um, and that's a really sad indictment on the industry. What what 
we are seeing as well is the financial benefit of making the changes we made. As an aside, I went to um, London a year ago just before COVID to talk to all the insurers and I told them what we were doing and they said to me, this is amazing, this is revolutionary. Our PI premium in the last renewal went down. Everyone else's went up and they said to us, you're doing the right thing, we can see you're managing risk appropriately, we're going to reward it. So there is a financial benefit um, to behaving well and unfortunately we're such an industry that people say, I want your data, they'll see the data and then they'll make a change. We can't wait two years for jobs to run for people to see whether it was successful or not. And I do sit on the task force uh, for the culture standard that is coming. My opinion, it's going to be too soft because the industry has to be pulled along the way. You know, we need to get it out and then we need to make it harder and harder to get more progressive faster. Um, But it's sad. But unfortunately, I think we need guidelines to make it change. Thanks for that, Alison. I think you've summed it up perfectly there. Um, I'm conscious that we're, you know, we're, we're getting tight on time and there are still must be about another 30, 40 questions on here that I've not even covered uh, and we're not going to get a chance to do now. So apologies if I didn't get to yours. Um, Shiv, I think that's uh, back to you. Perfect, Matt. Uh, thanks very much. Uh, it didn't appear that you were doing this for the first time. I thought you handled this, uh, this pretty well. And uh, uh, I, I don't know if this... Counts from six from sixty minutes. So Q and A are looking because they might have found found someone who can help them out when they need need people. Uh, Alison, Mark, thanks very much. I think the discussions from the industry was was really good. And Kevin, you just brought in a whole different uh, perspective. I think something uh, some of the things you mentioned uh, really really struck home in terms of how we operate as as humans. And uh, I think your understanding of construction industry makes it. Uh, makes it easier. I particularly like the reference to the rugby teams, having grown up in Fiji playing rugby. I don't look like a rugby player, but yeah, I did. Uh, so it, it's a, a good, very, very good and very easy to, to relate to. So I know we're in a virtual uh, uh, setup now, but I'd like to, to maybe request everyone to give a virtual uh, uh, round of applause to our, our panel and really thank them for the time and really the insightful discussion uh, discussion we've had. Uh, what's great to see is, I mean, we've got two two uh, industry leaders here with us. I mean, and, and they've been in the public light talking about what they've been doing. But I'm pretty sure there's many more companies, there are many more companies who are doing great things in their own ways. And uh, this is a forum, we're setting up this forum where we want to be able to, to hear from them. Uh, and I'll discuss later on how we, we want to enable that to happen. But uh, before that, I'd like to invite... Um, uh, a, a strong supporter of this uh, forum, uh, someone who's been helping us right from day one, uh, John Davis, the CEO of uh, Australian Constructors Association for, for his closing remarks. And then I'll discuss a, uh, an additional initiative we are launching uh, uh, tonight. So, John? Yeah, thanks, Shiv. Uh, and thanks to all our panellists for uh, for another great uh, hard convo. Um, it's uh, there's quite a bit to sort of sum up and, and, and observe there, and uh, and Matt unfortunately picked uh, the the best quote that I was going to uh, to use there, but the, the, there's a few others, and, and and just to sort of rattle through some observations I, I made there, uh, we're not bipolar, but we have major problems, and this is creating a lot of roadkill. What I thought was another great analogy. We need to move from a more tra- transactional approach to a, a, a relationship-based one. Change needs to come from the top, but we all, all of us have a responsibility for change. I think that that, that, that is really important. Uh, um, Alison, you've, you've been uh, an absolute mine of great quotes. Uh, the industry standard should not be set by the last, what the last numpty agreed to. I thought it was, it was another cracker. Um, lawyers have significantly contributed to the problem. Um, apologies to the lawyers on the line. I know uh, Kiri's on the line, but she's a strong supporter of change and I think uh, recognizes that. Um, Price is the lowest common denominator. Um, We need to move beyond just looking at that lowest common denominator and and looking at what what value means in the broader sense. Good people do good things, sounds an obvious thing to say, uh, but if we can focus on those good people and and ease those not so good people out, um, we will start to see some some change. A five-day week has huge Benefits. I think we can we can all uh, agree to that one. But it's really great, and, and as, as Matt says, very passionately put um, by Alison. And when you when you listen to it like that, you you just have to ask yourself the question: Why are we not doing it? Um, 
Um, finally, COVID provides us with an opportunity to reset and we should not waste that. I 100% agree that we, we really, um, as ACA, are very much focused on that. We see this as a, as a great opportunity, that, a real burning platform that we have to, to push for change. But we do, unfortunately, need to be told what that looks like. We need to set the guidelines. Uh, thanks, Matt, for, for raising the, the, the playbook. Um, we, we believe that that provides a great example. It's not, as Kevin says, necessarily the be all and end all. There are other um, things that we should look to and then examples that we should look to learn from. But um, we need to be moved beyond uh, talking about things. There's a lot of agreement about what the problems are, as we've heard today. There's a lot of agreement on what the solutions are. We need to document them and we need to actually start getting on and doing something about it. Thanks, you. Thanks a lot, John. It was a very good good summary, and uh, I think you captured a lot of the a lot of the the good points that were discussed. And I think Mark mentioned not it's not supposed to be transactional, but transformational. So it's a it's a good uh, uh, good good way to look at things. So uh, we've, we have a number of people on the line. We had I think sixty people uh, participate tonight. So that's a, that's a great uh, support. And there's many more who have uh, who aren't able to join because they've got kids, sports, and other things happening. And so a recording of this conversation will be made available to those who had registered. But what I'd like to share is uh, this, this conversation, when we say uh, from the ground up, what we're talking about is to say, how can we all become leaders in our own way and, and, and promote the good work that's, that's, that's happening? So for those who are participating, if there's something good that you have seen today, uh, please have the conversation uh, with your teams, with your leaders, and see what can be implemented to make a difference today. I think it was, I think, Alison who mentioned that when things are coming from the top, it doesn't have to always blow down. We can rise up and stop it and change how it goes down. I think uh, th that's a great opportunity with this particular forum where we can influence that. So, and that's why we're doing this uh, because a lot of the changes and, and the, the classic example is what Metal and Robotsco have done. They didn't wait for policy to come through. They didn't wait for the government to do something. They didn't, I think Alison referenced uh, uh, the, the discussion with the building commission. I, we, we don't need to wait for those things. There's some common sense items that we can do and we should be empowered uh, to do that because this is our industry, we make, we make it. So I think uh, I encourage all of you to do that. Uh, we are, we are, I know there's a lot of brain and intellectual horsepower sitting in this forum. So we're looking to form some working teams. Uh, we call it, we will call them expert teams. And the idea is those who are voluntary, uh, who want to volunteer themselves to help research particular topics or help us understand case studies that they might have come across or, or case studies they might have read about, heard about. And for us to start putting together these best cases that we can start then sharing sharing with the industry to help each other out. So if there are people in your companies uh, or uh, uh, the, the youngsters who are coming up who've got good ideas or people who have come from adjacent industries, people who may have been who are retired, uh, if you've got something to contribute, we, we need you because that's how this thing is going to be built. And I'll even go as far as to say that while, yes, the government needs to mandate or maybe initiate the development of the playbook, we don't have to wait for it because there's a lot of good ideas that we can start putting together and start sharing with the industry. And it's going to change company by company, project by project, and we'll be able to get it done. So if you're enthusiastic about this, it's not going to be too much of a commitment. Uh, please sign up. And on the 8th of June, that's the tentative date we have marked, uh, we will then have these groups make presentations and we'll invite a panel. Hopefully, Mark and Alison can join us in that, in that, in that forum at that time to listen to what this group has uh, group have come up with on the different topics, and we we'll probably will have a few others join us from the industry to participate uh, in that. But the idea is to extend these, uh, this, uh, this reservoir of knowledge and experience and tap into some of the brilliant things uh, that's happening. I, I deal with a lot of the subcontractors, and these are companies that are sponsoring the local soccer team. They're the ones who fund food for the soup kitchen. And you look at the impact uh, a subcontractor makes. So when, when we talk about cost cutting in a project and we actually don't optimize on cost when we optimize on margin it's not actually the contractor who suffers it's a whole community that suffers because they may not have enough money to sponsor the soccer team next year so collectively if we can make a difference it's not only changing the industry it's going to be changing a, a community the livelihoods of so many other youngsters the next generation so many homeless people in the community and and, and so on so it's a, it's a it's a it's for a wider wider cause and hence the term transforming the construction industry from the ground up because we can do this change from the ground. So I'd like to uh, take the opportunity to thank everyone once again. Alison, thanks very much for your enthusiasm and uh, agreeance to participate in this. Matt, many conversations uh, we've had, so I look forward to many more. And today was just uh, 
a, a, a fantastic way to listen to you from a from a very business uh, business approach. Uh, Kevin, again, great great speaking to you. Matt, of course, as always, uh, leader of the Hard Convo, and John, thanks a lot for your support. I'd like to also acknowledge and thank uh, Jerry, who's a part of our team member who's been helping us with this, as well as uh, Megan, and also acknowledge uh, our tech team, uh, Don, who's been helping us behind the scenes, making sure everything runs. And to all our participants, thanks very much for keeping your evening free and supporting supporting this. If you have any questions or anything that you'd like to discuss further on, please feel free to contact uh, any one of us. Thanks very much. Have a, have a great evening. Shiv, I would just like to throw in one final thing that someone just commented. Yeah. Early Christmas gift idea. Book of quotes from Alison. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll just make, we'll make right. a start with that. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone. Have a great evening. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Competitive Contractor Podcast. If you want to grow your business and be more profitable, contact us through www.shivendra.com. Our commitment is to impact you and your business positively and be the competitive contractor.